0: Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Shelps. Is it okay to call you Shelps? You can call me whatever you want to as long as it's nice. Okay. I always say nice names. Hey everyone, this is Deb and I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I have a special guest with me as Beth and I are attempting to get our schedules on the right track together. We told you from the beginning that this podcast is a family thing and guess what? I have my special guest daughter on the show today and this is Shelby. So Shelby, do you want to say hi to everyone?
1: Yes, of course. Hi, I'm Shelby. (laughs) We've been talking about this for quite some time, so I'm excited to be here so soon. Yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, I asked Shelby yesterday if she could record because I just have a couple things as far as conflicts with with Beth here. So she's off doing things with her son and I thought, well, I'll do something with my daughter. So here we go. Shelves. What are you doing? Let's see. Spring break is coming yeah. up, so I'm glad. I'm excited. The weather's getting nice, and we were talking about spring break a little while ago. And you get to go on vacation. I'm jealous because I am not sure that I'm even. I have anything planned right now. So tell me about your vacation. You might inspire me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So in April we have a wonderful opportunity to go to New York City, which I have never been before. I know you have. We're we're super excited about that. Um, we're going to you get to see the Statue of Liberty. I think see a few museums here and there. And so it's going to be really fun.
0: I love New York. That's my second favorite city. And I've been probably half a dozen times. I, the only thing I have not seen is was the Statue of Liberty. So really, I didn't realize you've
1: been that many times.
0: (laughs) Yeah, over time, I mean, way back in the day, you all, I used to be a flight attendant. So, oh, yeah, I used to fly to New York quite a bit. And then I, oh, Manhattan is amazing. Times Square.
1: Theater. Yes, we're going to get to be there.
0: <laughs> are you going to any theaters? I don't think so. Oh, not this go around. I just love it. I Every time I go, I'm fortunate to see at least one. Off-Broadway is so cool. So I have seen, what is that one about the Wizard of Oz with the, it's not called Oz. Is it called Wicked? Oh, Wicked. Yep, it's Wicked. Yeah, that was an awesome show. So are you ready to talk today about this topic? I am, yeah. Since Aunt Beth was not able to join us today, I thought this is a perfect opportunity to talk to you about the Olympics, because when we lived in the Atlanta area back in 1996, you were just a wee tot. You were probably mm-hmm. what, five, 1996, that would have made you really about four and a half years old at the time. So mm-hmm. you were still pretty small, but we had an opportunity to go downtown to the Olympic site where this situation occurred that we're going to be talking about the 1996 Olympic bombings. But before we actually went there, do you remember going to South Georgia to go see your grandma? parent. That's where do you remember when the, the people came running through town? Oh, yes. Yep. And we had the parade. What what do you remember about that? Oh, day? I was
1: I was so tiny. <laughs> I would assume that was when they were lighting the torch, right? They had the torch, and you know how they go through different
0: cities and then they pass the torch to someone else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's what we went down to South Georgia to go watch because they happened to be running through the town where Brandon Poppy used to live. So okay. Yep. So we hung out all day and there's a, just a beautiful picture of Shelby and her grandpa with just sitting there waiting for the torch to come through. And it was really a magnificent experience. I remember that. So we're going to talk about the 1996 Olympic bombings today. And before we get started, do you have a favorite Olympic
1: event? I do actually. And I don't think it's one that many would say is their favorite but my favorite I think is honestly the skeleton. Do you know what that is? I have no idea what that is. So it's kind of like a head first losing down a course and you would think that it is so dangerous but honestly I've done some research and it is actually one of the safest Olympic sports. How's it safe if you're going Uh, down head first? (laughs) That's what I would think. I I don't know if it's the way that they've got the course set up but yeah it's actually one of the is you'll have to you'll have to look into that it's really cool it's called the skeleton
0: is it a one person team or is it like a multiple teams multiple people on a team
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's multiple I would assume it's multiple people (laughs) okay I I have never heard of that
0: well I was able to go to the volleyball the women's volleyball team played and I was able to get tickets to go down there and see that that day and it was midday and I just went down to watch volleyball. And of course, that's one of my favorite sports too, because I used to play volleyball way back in the day when I was in high school. So it was just one of those games that I enjoy doing and watching is fun. You don't get to watch that too often. No. Ultimately. All right. I'm going to, are you ready to get started? I am. Yep. Do you have anything else to add? No. (laughs) Are you having fun? I am, yeah. Yeah, good. So let's talk about the Olympics. And I had mentioned that this story hits a little bit home because I actually was downtown. I'm going to say probably two days before this bombing occurred, Shelby, you were actually down there with us because it was the whole family. We all went down to a jam packed Centennial Olympic Park and we just kind of went around and looked at the grounds and went to the festival areas. There was music playing, lots of things going on. It was busy, busy, busy. And so we were downtown just kind of strolling around the park. And I would say that that probably occurred a couple of days before the bombing. So imagine my shock as a mother. You would be way too young to even remember that but we were there just days beforehand so kind of reflecting back on this and this is what I'm seeing with my recordings here is that I'm looking back on some of these events that you see on the news and you're watching and you're following and so I just feel like that point in time where have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time or in the wrong place at the right time or the the right place Mm -hmm. at the wrong time definitely I think that we were at the Uh, Wrong place at the right time, yeah, or right place at the wrong time. I guess I don't know. It worked out in our favor, so I'm not saying anything about what occurred that day. But we definitely worked in our favor. So let's go ahead and start talking about the 1996 Centennial Olympic Park bombing. This occurred on July 27th, 1996, and ultimately killed one person and injured about 111 other people. Now you had said that you did a little bit of research when I asked you if you wanted to record this with me. So Mm -hmm. really, I didn't get a lot of details other than 111 people were injured and one person was killed. So did you say that you found out more about that?
1: yeah So unfortunately there was one person that was killed during the incident. Her name was Anne Hawthorne. She was 44 years old. She was there with her 14-year-old daughter who also just happened to be one of those uh injured. The the really sad part about it that I was reading about was the the daughter was actually there celebrating her 14th birthday. So just a, a sad occasion all around to to kind of have that memory,
0: kind oh, of follow
1: her throughout the the years, for sure. Did she were they visiting or did they live in the
0: area? Do you know?
1: I believe they lived in the area. Uh, it did say that she had an older daughter who was not able to attend due to work, so I would assume they were probably in the area. Wow. So during the events of that evening
0: on July twenty seventh, there was a concert going on and a. Man who was working security at the time, named Richard Jewell, was there just doing his job, and he came across a backpack that contained three pipe bombs, and it was also packed with nails. Now, I I couldn't really find exactly where he found this, but... If my memory is correct, I think he found it somewhere off, maybe like in the background. It may not have been; it may have been like maybe near a, a park bench in the back of where all the the, uh, the activities were going on. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really getting a lot of attention. I guess he was just doing his rounds. Right. So- well, it was
1: so late at night too. There were still quite a bit of people there, but I just couldn't believe how late in the evening that this actually happened. How late was it? It was a little after midnight. When they got the call, and then the the bomb actually went off eleven minutes after one, one in the morning, in the morning. Wow.
0: Well, so Richard was doing his job, and he alerted the police so that they came and helped get everybody out of that area. You said there it wasn't as crowded, obviously, at that hour. So I'm sure that that was probably helpful for the situation that not as many people got hurt. They Richard Jewell, along with the police, were able to get everybody out of that area. They they evacuated everybody before the bombs de- detonated. So following the events, Richard Jewell was hailed as an American hero. Of course he was, because oh gosh, I can't imagine doing your job and coming up on uh, just a random backpack sitting in a area off by itself. And I mean, what did he do? Did he look in it? Was he trained to look for something like that? We'll never know, I guess. So I
1: actually have a little insert. Oh, good. (laughs) Tell us. I'm going to give a little backstory in just a second. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It's just kind of funny how he ended up in the position that he was. From what I've researched, he did not look in the bag that he did what he was supposed to and he followed protocol, you know, called the police and let them know what he had found, that it was suspicious. So a little bit of a backstory that I found on Richard Jewell was that when he was quite young, he had always been interested in law enforcement. He started in the jail first and then eventually moved up to the police officer position. So after being, uh, you know, in the jailer for a little while, he moved up to the police officer patrolling position. Unfortunately, he was demoted back to working in the jail because he was known for wrecking police cars. Um, I'm assuming unintentionally, but By the time he had wrecked four of them, they said no more. From there, he actually moved to become a campus officer, but ended up leaving that job because he was not following protocol and trying to stop people for traffic violations and DUIs. And eventually that's he, he left that job, moved back home with his mother. Was and he, then uh, that's, was he a uniformed officer when he was doing that? Oh, well, he was uh, a, a just a college campus cop. So I'm sure he had some kind of uniform on, but not, he, he was not allowed to, you know, stop somebody because their tail light was out or stop somebody because they were drinking and driving. I, I think this happened on maybe a highway right outside of the campus. So it wasn't his realms to be the one to enforce those laws. Got you. So he was acting
0: like a city police officer,
1: but he was a campus on the campus. Right
0: just to think
1: he's a was an officer and is supposed to be following all these these laws but yet keeps wrecking his car
0: well interesting so richard was never arrested for the bombings but he was treated like the prime sp- suspect and a criminal for the next 3 months so police office, uh, police officials and the news media we're pretty much tearing him apart. Now, I don't know how he went from being a hailed hero in this situation to being the prime suspect.
1: Did you find anything on that? No, I I did see that he was reprimanded for- He was um, reprimanded from the Olympic events? No, maybe that's the wrong word. <laughs> he, he did receive, he sued and actually basically made some money. What is that called? Defamation? Defamation of character? Yeah, maybe. So he sued?
0: Mm-hmm. Wait. Are you saying? <laughs> so I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm all confused because you know more well, about we'll this it... topic than I do. <laughs> this is like quick 15 minute research that I did. I'm just flabbergasted that it took you 15 minutes to research <laughs> all this and it probably took me
1: two hours. Oh so... my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he was never arrested for the bombing and How he was- you? What? I was going to say you put in there that he won the, the lawsuit. I did. I'm not there yet, Shelves. I have a little oh. bit of a oh, outline. Sorry, I didn't
0: see that. <laughs> sorry,
1: I didn't see that. Following <laughs> a little bit of an
0: outline because although I speak for a living, I still need a little bit of an outline.
1: <laughs> okay. Sorry. Go. No, by all means.
0: You just keep on doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. <laughs> All right. So Richard was publicly and relentlessly scrutinized by law enforcement and the news outlets. And that went on for several months. So as long as I've known this case, I don't think that he ever got out from living in the shadow of the 1996 Olympic bombings because it always seemed like people at some point, even though he was found to be innocent and they did not pursue him as, as a suspect, he just never lived past that stigma of being accused. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel sorry for him because as I've watched this story evolve, then it's just that that poor man. I mean, the last years of his life were, were not the best and uh, just always, always in that back of people's minds that he was the one, but, you know, it was later proven that he was not the one that did it. So, but I will, I will say that Richard Jewell was exonerated from all the charges and so he was cleared of any involvement. And then you had mentioned, Shelbs, that he had filed lawsuits against the media and won. And how mm-hmm. much? NBC ended
1: up having to pay out $500,000. Is that all he got for defamation oh, of character? I, that That's what I found. There may have been more, one or two. I want to say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't want to. I don't think that's enough, to be honest with you.
0: All right. The Georgia governor at the time who was Sonny Perdue publicly commended Richard for saving lives in the park that day. And, you know, that came out quite, quite a while after the events happened. And sadly, now you said he, he got his pay out from the, from the lawsuit. And then he, no, that was just NBC. There may have been more, but got you. And then he, he was only able to, he only lived in, in two, until 2007 so he had some Mm -hmm. ongoing health issues and ended up dying of complications from diabetes in August of 2007. How many years is that? Eight from the time the events happened? Um, 96. So 11. Oh, bad at math. You all, I am bad (laughs) at math. Very bad at math. Well, the good news is, is that they actually found a suspect and they came across or they started following um, a man named Eric Rudolph. Between 1996 and 1998, there were four bombs that were detonated in the Atlanta area and Birmingham, Alabama. Three of the bombs went off in Atlanta, which would be one with the Olympics. And the fourth one was in Birmingham. So the first bombing occurred on the Olympics event of July 27th. And then in January of 1997, then two more bombs went off at an Atlanta-based abortion clinic, which injured seven people. A month later, in February of 1997, a third bomb went off at an Atlanta nightclub. So somebody is attacking randomly. What do you, does it look like he's got an agenda here? The Atlanta nightclub was Um, targeting the LGBT community and Mm -hmm. four, four people were injured there. So, so far he's attacking LGBTs. He's attacking people uh, or abortion clinics. And then, Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, so where does the Atlanta bombing come in?
1: I don't know if this is slightly off topic, but it might shed some light into maybe the thoughts uh, or Eric Rudolph's thoughts. So when he was younger, he got involved with a gentleman named Nord Davis. Nord was really a part of the Christian identity movement. So they, you know, were constantly reading the Bible and they were just dead set on living every single day. If your beliefs were not aligned with, you know, what it says in the Bible, then they they didn't want anything to do with you. And so Nord Davis, he kind of wanted to find someone like Eric Rudolph, who was a loner and, you know, could kind of come up with, these, these events that were occurring on their own. And it wasn't something that he wanted to, you know, say, Hey, you should go and do this. No, Rudolph kind of came up with these bombings on his own. And I was not aware. I knew there were a few bombings, but I wasn't aware of exactly where they were, but I I definitely think those very specific beliefs may have had something to do with you know, the LGBTQ plus community or uh, abortions and whatnot.
0: So did it seem like Eric was being groomed to build up to this?
1: Kind of. Yeah. I mean, if you've got someone, you know, just constantly in your mind saying this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. I mean, that's how you're going to grow up thinking. Obviously, that's not, you know, how our family thinks. We love everybody. Um, But sadly, (laughs) there are, there are, you know, people who have those opinions. And it's nowadays, it's sad and unfortunate, but it does, you know, like you said, seem like he was possibly being groomed from uh, a young age. So, two people were killed from those attacks,
0: and hundreds were injured. I had mentioned 111 people were injured from the Atlanta bombing, but the police were on Eric Rudolph's tail because it seemed like several witnesses had reported seeing his pickup near the Birmingham clinic incident. And so the authorities began to tail him based on the feedback they were getting from tips from the public. But Rudolph was living off the grid in the Appalachian Mountains. And if you are not familiar with that, the Appalachian mountains run all the way from Georgia, all the way up to Maine. So that kind of reminded me of a time when I had a friend of mine actually ask me if I wanted to go walk the Appalachian Trail, which at the time I was working on, oh, Shelby, you know, I've been in school your whole entire life. (laughs) So Mm -hmm, true. I was working on one of those degrees and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give myself a graduation present and I will do it. But you know, of course nothing ever came around. So, I mean, I've taken plenty of day trips up to the uh, Appalachian trails, but I don't know if I would ever, I hear too many stories. Okay. Bears, lots of bears. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're also talking about, okay, you, there's a certain person that goes out hiking. And to me, it's, it's a kindred spirit amongst other hikers. I mean, everybody's there for the same reason. We love nature. We love peace. We love tranquility. But then you have people that, you know, if you're walking up on somebody, a stranger on a trail that runs from Georgia all the way up to Maine, would you do it? Would you take the trip? Not by
1: myself, maybe with, um, like a big group so I can run hopefully faster than somebody else. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious.
0: Oh, run faster than someone else. I never thought of that. Okay. <laughs> remind me not to go hiking the, the Appalachian trails with you because <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're going to outrun me.
1: <laughs> I don't know
0: about I don't know about that anymore. So the Appalachian trail is 2100 or 2,190 plus miles, which is 3,524 kilometers. Rudolph was up there in the Appalachian Mountains, just kind of living off the land, camping. He was also going to people's cottages or or cabins whenever they were not there. So if somebody had like a seasonal cabin where they would only go maybe during hunting season or if they just had a vacation home there, then he would be living off the land or living in those cabins. I don't know if he broke in. I'm sure he probably did. So he was very, very familiar with the region because he grew up in that area. He, he grew up around the area of Tennessee, Georgia, and North Carolina. There's a little section where the three states meet in one spot. So as an adult, Eric Rudolph could be considered an experienced outdoorsman. And he would scavenge for food in the area, go by the local dumpsters at the grocery store store. So one day, Eric Rudolph was spotted in Murphy, North Carolina, which is just over the Georgia line into North Carolina at the Appalachian foothills. And yeah, I've actually driven through that town. It's very small, very rural, and I'm pretty sure I remember the grocery store that they're talking about where he was spotted. So the town's pretty small and you would not take it would not take long for you to spot someone like Rudolph, especially if he's, I don't know if you would consider him being out of place in a town like that where everybody knows everybody, but if he's an outdoorsman and he has been living off the land, I can't guarantee he showered every day. You know what I mean?
1: I was going to say, I feel like he would just look dirty, like uh, unclean. So uh, for about five years,
0: Eric Rudolph lived in the wilderness of the Appalachian Mountains while eluding the police. And then he would stockpile food and forage at night from the local granary. I'm going to say it probably is a place where you would go and they would like process grains. He would have places that he would go to the restaurants, grocery stores, loading docks, anywhere there, anywhere that he could forage his food. And then other than this, he basically kno- knew how to live off the land. He was trained to do so. He lived in caves. He lived in abandoned cabins, like I mentioned. He actually took about six months food supply from a former neighbor of his, but he had a heart. He left $500 at the scene to cover the grocery costs. Wasn't that nice? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's giving his neighbor, he's, he's being kind to his neighbor and leaving him $500, but he's bombing other people. That's, I don't get the thinking process people. So uh, this kind of reminds me of Goldilocks and the three bears, you know, <laughs> Somebody's been sleeping in my bed. He was a creature of habit and stayed in the area where he is familiar. And the authorities caught up to him, uh, or they at least had several tips from sightings. And then, of course, they began to keep an eye on that area of Murphy, North Carolina. Even though they had their eyes on Rudolph at that time, he also had his eyes on them because I guess he was pretty aware of his surroundings and he was contemplating an, an attack against the agents who were assigned to the case. And he even kept extra explosives lying around in case he wanted to attack them. And I don't think that ever happened. I never did hear that in the news. He did consider booby trapping the national guard armory in the area, but there were too many people around watching him at this point. So he knew that he was probably not going to be able to get away with it. And then since that never happened in February of 1980, 19- Ninety-eight. Although he was a fugitive, the, he was named as the Birmingham Clinic bomber. So they identified him from tips that led to him as being the suspect. He was still on the loose, running free, and you know, under the cover of night and the cover of the Appalachian trails. Well, he was named as the Clinic bomber, and then he was officially in October of nineteen ninety-eight. He was officially charged for the Atlanta bombings. So by that time, wow. he was added to the FBI. 10 most wanted list. And then in May of 2003, May 31st, Rudolph was arrested while he was foraging for food in the back of the grocery store. And he eventually pled guilty to the four counts against him, including the 1996 Olympic bomb bombings to avoid the death penalty. Eric Rudolph was sentenced to four life terms in prison without the possibility of, of parole and is currently serving time at the Supermax Federal Prison in Florence, Colorado. That's the story of the Olympic bombings. I'm glad they found him.
1: Yeah. For sure. Um, And actually, I saw that the arresting officer that ended up finding him when he was scavenging for food, was only 21 years old and had only been a part of the police force for 10 months wow no so okay so how did how did they come up on him then uh it was just late in the evening i want to say between one and three in the morning and he was just out of place and the officer knew it and so he just stopped him and he gave him a false name and went back and was like yeah you're you're not coming up in our database he ended eventually ended up uh arresting him. I mean, it wasn't until, you know, somebody else pointed out the possibility of, hey, this could be Eric Rudolph. And fortunately it it was him. Okay. Well, there we have it. There's our story of the 1996
0: Olympic bombings. I've had fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for joining us. And we hope that you will go visit our social media at dying to be found. You could find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And guess what, people? I just added Pinterest out there yesterday, so I'm building that site right now. You can also go to dyingtobefound.com. You can listen to our episodes there. You can go to any of the podcasts that you listen to, Spotify, Google, Apple, and what other ones? Stitcher. There's a few others out there, but if you go to the the dyingtobefound.com, go to the website that's spelled exactly like the logo that you see, and we hope that you will come back to Listen to us next time. Thanks for joining us.